The reading for the day comes from John 20, 11 through 18. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she went, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned, and she said to him in Hebrew, Rabunai, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me, because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said the, these things to her. Good morning, everyone. My name is Jonah. My pronouns are they, them, theirs. I'm one of your pastors here at Zao, and I just want to wish you a happy Easter. We made it. We made it to this moment, which might be all we can say right now, but we did make it to this moment. He is risen. Alleluia. If you want right now in the comments, if you want to like complete my high five, not leave me hanging, respond in comments with, he is risen indeed. Alleluia. Christ is risen. It is Easter, y'all, and it is really hard to believe. I know that a lot of us are kind of taking stock, looking over this past year and seeing where we've come from. A year ago on Easter uh, was the first and so far, thankfully, only time that I have ever missed service due to medical reasons. The first sermon I ever couldn't preach because I was too sick was Easter Sunday 2020 when I had covid and so much in our world has shifted and changed since then. Cameron was reminding me before we went live that one year ago he was operating service by himself because I was too sick, but he was also doing so from our living room of our one-bedroom apartment. <laughs> and he also reminded me that he got very fancy for the occasion wearing a tuxedo t-shirt and a bow tie, to which I said, didn't your tuxedo t-shirt have a bow tie on it? And he said, yes, it did. <laughs> so I now come to you in, in my Easter Sunday garb um, in a slightly different world, but in some ways the same. We are no longer in the living room of our one-bedroom apartment. We have this beautiful studio, and we have been doing church differently and inventively and online and across state lines now for a year, for 13 months, in fact. And the world looks different now than it did last Easter, but we find ourselves asking some of the same questions now as we did then. When will this pandemic be over? 
Will it ever be safe for us to gather again? Why is everyone lying about this pandemic all the time and telling us everything's fine? And I think that we see in there a pattern that we see with lots of systemic and system-wide traumas, harms, and injustices. That there is a lot of collective denial in our world of the mechanisms of death and evil. There was a lot of talk over this last year about how the Christian thing to do was to not fear, not fear the coronavirus, to just go on about our lives as if nothing had happened, even though we knew and science told us that it would bring all sorts of consequences, including death to vulnerable people and marginalized communities. And this simply does not square with our understanding of the gospel here at Zao. We know that our Jesus roots call us to a justice center and a radically inclusive community that prioritizes the most vulnerable who might be the most vulnerable to something like COVID, just as they're most vulnerable, we're most vulnerable in different ways to systems of oppression elsewhere. But we have a collective denial. We would like to just go on with our lives and pretend that nothing has happened. Our faith actually calls us to acknowledge systems of evil, systems of harm, tragedies and griefs of our life, from COVID to police brutality and everything in between. We are called to acknowledge. And this is why we have spent this season of Lent preparing ourselves for this moment, but not just for this moment, for this whole week for the confrontation on protest Sunday between Jesus and, and Rome in Jerusalem. And we see throughout the week Jesus confronting these systems of power. We see the intimate work of community on Maundy Thursday during the meal, the Passover meal that becomes our communion meal in our tradition. And then again on Good Friday, we sit at the foot of the cross we don't walk through the streets saying, oh, we do not fear crucifixion. We do not fear the Roman Empire in a way that denies that those things are powerful forces of evil in our world. Instead, we acknowledge them and we say, these forces of evil are harming us. These forces of evil are harming God's beloved. We cannot look away. We learn from Jesus to lean in, to go into those systems, to confront them, to see their reality. But to see their reality is to see that they are fallible. You see, one of the reasons that we want to deny systems of evil at all, we want to pretend they don't exist, is because they're very overwhelming. It's overwhelming to think of a global pandemic. It's overwhelming to think of the massive scale and, and lifetimes of police brutality in this country. It's overwhelming, and so we are tempted to simply turn away from the cross, to never enter Jerusalem to begin with. But we know that if we are to follow Jesus along the way, there is no avoiding confrontation with those mechanisms of sin, oppression, evil, and death. Now, to do so is painful, and I want to just pause here for a moment that the death of Jesus proves that we are subject to the harm of systems of evil. That this part of the story being so central, that the cross being a part of the story of resurrection, 
is, is God's way of inviting us to actually face our reality. And it's a validation of our pain. There are no avoiding, there is no avoiding these experiences of death. And so if you are feeling, when you are feeling, grief or loss or rage, I want you to remember that you are not out of alignment with this story. If on Easter Sunday, as I am saying, Christ is risen and wearing my floral and being excited, if you are still at the cross, know that you are still in this story, at the foot of the cross, in the heart of grief, in the acknowledgement of pain. You are still in this story. You may just be in a different moment or a different movement of it. But we are invited over time and every season over and over again to move through this story, to not be stuck only at the cross, but to move through the moment of the cross and the death into the resurrection of Jesus, because the resurrection proves something as well. While the cross and the death of Jesus prove that we are subject to the pain and harm of these systems of evil, the resurrection of Jesus proves that those systems are not as final or as powerful or as all-knowing as they claim to be. These systems are fallible. They are defeatable. The mechanisms of domination are not final, though they would claim to be, as though they had been there since the beginning of time and will be forever. In fact, they are contrasted with what has been there since the beginning of time and what will be eternally there after Rome crumbles and so many other systems that we thought were unshakable have turned to rubble. The love and life and joy of God, which is infinite and never exhausted. It endures through all of these pains and harms. You see, the love of God can be beaten and flogged, but it can never be beaten into submission to death and violence. In fact, the love of God can endure unimaginable pain and grief and arise on the other side somehow even more whole, including the marks and memories of suffering. You see, Jesus risen bears those marks, and yet is somehow unrecognizable. His people don't see him at first. They are still at the foot of the cross. They are still in the tomb. They are still in that moment of grief. But Jesus has moved the story along, has seen further into the future of creation, knows the resurrection, has lived it, is embodying it, and has to coax, invite his followers to see the next page of the story and believe. And there are two ways that the disciples who loved him recognize Jesus in resurrection. The first is his wounds. And the second is his voice. Now the wounds of Jesus, in another scripture that we didn't uh, quote from today, there is a story where Jesus comes to the disciples and reveals himself. But one of his disciples, Thomas, just can't wrap his mind around it. And he asks to touch the body of Jesus. 
and he sticks his hand inside this wound. Jesus, resurrected in perfection, more whole than he has ever been, more himself than he has ever been, still has a hole in the side of his body from the wounds that he suffered on the cross. And in that moment, through touching, through embodiment, and through that memory of where Thomas was, when Jesus was stabbed in the side, when Jesus' hands were pierced, and the pain that Thomas endured watching his Lord suffer and die, that shared memory of pain and wounding is what reminds Thomas of who Jesus is. We may know God through suffering because we suffer. And this is the part of the story that we are often most connected with. That pain that keeps us at the foot of the cross can sometimes be overwhelming. And it can be hard to imagine life beyond. It can be hard to imagine a life healed. And yet, just because Jesus is on that other side healed does not mean that he is far from the suffering that we have been through. It is in, actually, that shared suffering between God and humanity that we can see God was there with us. Not only was God there with us in that moment as we were wounded, but God was wounded as well. And rather than being destroyed, which is what those mechanisms of sin and evil and death want us to believe, that the wounds are too great, that we cannot ever recover, that the wounds will end us, God endures with us, through us, and for us. Not to forget it, not to pretend it never happened, but to emerge more perfect on the other side, still bearing the marks of those wounds. The wounds did not destroy perfect love that day, but somehow made it more perfect. That song that we sang at Good Friday, Were You There When They Crucified My Lord? We can ask this of God. Even Jesus does on the cross when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? To question where God is in those moments of pain is holy and good and demonstrated by divine questioning of God's own self. So we say to God, were you there when they nailed him to the tree? Were you there when they laid him in the tomb? Were you there when the sun refused to shine? And some of us may ask other questions. God, were you there when they kneeled on George Floyd's neck? Were you there when they took my father off a ventilator? Were you there when they decided that medical providers could refuse me care? because I'm queer and trans. The resounding answer of Jesus' resurrected, perfected body is, yes, I was there. And it hurt, and I bled with you. And I, even in resurrected life, bear the marks of those wounds with you. And we will be made whole. And our wholeness will not erase our trauma, but it will heal it and integrate it into a new kind of perfection beyond anything we knew before the cross. Jesus is hard to recognize. But when we ask, were you there? The proof is in his body. His hands and feet, he was there with us. 
is there with us in our pain and carries those wounds even into a perfection beyond our imagination or recognition. The second way that Jesus' disciples recognize him is through his voice. Now this is the story of our central scripture today, Mary Magdalene at the tomb. It is she who goes and weeps. She loved Jesus. She loves Jesus in death. And she is feeling so alone. What is this world that killed her Lord, her love, her hope? And as she is there, someone approaches her, asks, asks her why she is crying, who she is looking for. And in fact, it is not at this first voice that Mary recognizes. She actually thinks him the gardener. But then in his voice, he calls her by name, Mary. When she hears the call of her own name in his voice, this is when she recognizes now, we can talk systems and power and structures all day, and you know that I do. But at its core, a personal relationship with the divine, an intimate closeness with Jesus, a relationship whereby God calls us by name that we recognize the truth for what it is, it is in that calling, in that intimacy, in that closeness, in your name on the lips of the Lord that we are invited into a new reality, that we can finally recognize that life and love has risen indeed, that these systems of death have been defeated, not only by the power of cosmic systems of grace and resurrection and freedom, but by the intimate connection of love and trust and healing between people and between you and God. This is when we remember and recognize that Christ is risen indeed. Alleluia. We know this because he calls us by name and invites us into a new reality where the tomb is not only an empty place for grief, but it is also the site of a miracle beyond imagination. Where the man who inquires, who is it that you are looking for, is not merely a kind gardener, but in fact, our risen teacher. Where Mary is not alone in her grief and pain, but invited by God's own voice to participate with God in ushering in the next part of the story, to spread the word I have seen the Lord. And she does. Because excellent disciple that she is, when Jesus calls Mary Magdalene by name, she calls back to him by one of his names. Not Jesus, but teacher. Jesus has brought her through so many places, has taught her so much, invited her into new understandings of herself and the world, of possibility, given her keys to a kingdom already and not yet here. And she sees him again, calling out to her, almost asking with his very title, Rabunai, teacher, 
Teach me again. Teach me through this moment to know what hope is. I have been despairing and alone, but you are here to bring me along into whatever resurrection means. Teach me what it means. And he doesn't offer her a lecture or give her some explanation for what his resurrection means for her eternal life or write her a list of all the new moral lessons that she should take from this. He instructs her to act to make her hope real. He says, go. Go to the disciples and tell them, there is more to this story. It is not over yet. The systems of evil you thought had won are liars. I have risen from the dead and will rise further still. I will ascend into heaven. Now go, tell them. And faithful disciple that she is, she runs. She runs to her people and proclaims, I have seen the Lord and tells them everything. This season, in our own faithful discipleship, we have been reflecting on the book of Acts, trying to understand what it means to live as people of Jesus. And we see here one of the fundamental principles that we've embraced. We do not believe our way, ourselves into new actions. We act ourselves into new beliefs. We do not believe ourselves into new actions. We act ourselves into new beliefs. Which is to say it is not our thoughts and beliefs that come first and then turn us into the people we want to be. It is our lives that shape us, the choices we make to act as though what we believe could be true that solidifies our belief in our hearts, that forms our faith out of our lives. Jesus sees the budding hope in Mary Magdalene. Can it be? Is it really you? Are you risen? Is that you calling my name? And he urges her to act immediately, to anchor that belief, that hope, the new understanding that Christ is risen. I have seen the Lord. Say it, Mary. Tell it to whoever will hear. Proclaim it. Does she truly believe in this moment? Does she have doubts? I'm going to guess yes. Like, this is weird. And she thought this guy was the gardener five minutes ago. It takes time to adjust to a new reality, especially one that is beyond our recognition and imagination. And yet, before she sits down to contemplate this new reality and what it could mean for her life, what it means that death has now been defeated apparently over the last three days, she moves, she acts. She spreads the word. She proclaims a truth because that is what her teacher told her to do, to turn her hope into action so that her action could come, become belief and faith. She acts immediately as though all of this is true. She is a disciple, a follower of Jesus by living like one, doubts and all. She lives the truth of the resurrection even as it may be unbelievable to her. We, as a people of Jesus, are called to be a resurrection people. All people of Jesus are called into a life of resurrection. We believe that the mechanisms of death and evil and harm are fallible, 
that in the end they will be toppled. And you know what? Maybe we only believe that some of the time. But we can always proclaim it. We can live it. Our doubts can come. They can flood us. We can wonder if this really is God. We can wonder, maybe this is just the gardener. We can think that maybe raising from the dead is just a really nice story. But all the while, we can live as though it is true. We can act to partner with God in toppling those evil systems. We can act with one another to prefigure, as we talked about, the kind of Jesus' kingdom here on earth, now in this moment, to the best of our ability. We can walk along the way with Jesus, headed somewhere unknown, somewhere beyond our imagination, but knowing that even if we doubt the destination every other Thursday or every five minutes, that each step we take, each movement we make towards Jesus in the way is an act of liberating, resurrecting faith. And all along the way, we stick our hands in the side of Jesus and we feel that our wounds are his wounds, that he truly was there and is here. And he will call us by name and we will remember. And Jesus will be our teacher as we move through doubt and despair into hope and remembering and back again, surely. And all the while, through all of this movement of hope and despair, of believing and disbelief, we can act. We can live as a people of resurrection and hope. Do you want to believe that the resurrection is real? Do you want to believe that systems of oppression can be defeated? Do you want to believe that the God of the universe knows you and calls you by your truest name? Then live. Live in that truth. Everything you do to topple empire is contributing to the arc of justice over lifetimes. And in the end, we believe and live as though love prevails. Every action you take to build community and to love your neighbor is part of a movement of healing and transformation that spans all of time. Every moment that you choose resurrection, it becomes more real in you. And you will see more and more that this is no mere empty tomb. This is not just the gardener. There is a new world revealed to you in which all things are possible because love can endure all things and will emerge beyond anything that evil will throw at it. Our actions don't always have to be big either. Sometimes choosing resurrection is about doing one small thing, the next small thing, whatever that is. We know, for instance, that... In the midst of deep depression, one of the most effective things to do is to take any kind of action. And in this way, taking a shower can be an act of beautiful rebellion, a choice that defies the logic of despair and provides a new moment of life and hope. We may feel alone in our spirituality, isolated from communities that have harmed us or let us down or simply failed to challenge and inspire us. But the action of coming together in a new kind of church 
or of starting a book study or joining the Zao Squad or throwing in together, investing your time, your life, your hope, your material reality, your finances into a new expression of what you believe is possible, finding a worship song, finding anything that finally speaks to you and could convince you for half a moment that it is God speaking your name, taking that next step. These are choices of resurrection. This is what belief looks like in action, in the midst of all kinds of beautiful and important doubt. We also may be called to abolish policing and prisons. And that can feel like a little overwhelming. But marching in the street or reading We Do This Till We Free Us, which I will recommend again, or advocating at a school board meeting that we get cops out of our local schools. All these are actions that we take to bring resurrection into reality, to participate in the resurrection of the living God who declares that all of those systems of evil can and will be defeated. We don't have to have it all mapped out. We don't have to know the particulars to trust that we are part of an eternal story that culminates in the victory of life and love. There is a prayer that I return to from time to time when I don't know what that next step is or when I feel like I have to know where it's all going. And I'd like to share it with you right now. It says, We cannot do everything, and there is a sense of liberation in realizing that. This enables us to do something, and to do it very well. It may be incomplete, but it is a beginning, a step along the way, an opportunity for the Lord's grace to enter and do the rest. We may never see the end results, but that is the difference between the master builder and the worker. We are workers not master builders, ministers, not messiahs. We are prophets of a future, not our own. We cannot skip to the end of the story where resurrection is complete. It's actually beyond our imagining. But as we travel along the way with Jesus, we can be liberated from that pressure to make it to the end. We can do something and do it very well here and now in this moment. We can act as part of this larger arc where love wins, where life overcomes, where our endurance matters, and where evil crumbles. We can act as a resurrection people, and perhaps along the way, we will strengthen our belief that resurrection is truly possible. We call out to Jesus, our teacher, to lead us. Because risen, wounded, and perfect, he calls us by name and invites us into a life of resurrection. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Will you pray with me? Good and holy God, you know the full arc of this story. And you have given it to us in the scriptures and in the life that you led here on earth. God be with us 
Help us to find that next step, that next action, to live as a resurrection people, to find our hope in the truth of your enduring love, that our lives may be a testament to that story, and that along the way we may come to truly, truly believe it. Amen.